Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a top week working with your players. Before we kick off today's podcast, a very quick review of the latest content to come out on playerdevelopmentproject.com over the last couple of weeks. In the last week or so, we've published two new Q&A videos and a brand new blog. Our first Q&A is a question asking for advice on debriefs with your players. Now in this one, Dan Wright and I discuss some ideas to consider when debriefing with your players, from coach-led ideas through to player-led and all the areas in between. So lots to consider in this one. We've also got a brand new blog from a new contributor, Johnny McMurtry. Johnny is a motivational researcher and rugby coach, and he shared a great article called Getting Our Athletes Into The Zone, where he dives into the research around the zone of proximal development, motivation, and much more. Our latest Q&A video, which is now available on the site, is also featured as today's podcast. Now, this was a really challenging question from a grassroots coach on whether his club should recruit better players after a highly successful season on the pitch in order to strengthen the team. After a number of players have uh, shown interest in joining his team, he's got some real tough challenges on his hands going into the next season. Now, in this one, Dan and I chat through some of the key considerations when it comes to balancing on-field success with the social dynamics of the group and the player's experience. And as you'll hear shortly, we both have some pretty strong views on what the priority should be for the age group in question. Look out for more great content on the site next week, and as always, a reminder that if you haven't signed up to become a PDP member, we have monthly, annual, or club membership options available at playerdevelopmentproject.com, so you can sign up and access all of our top coaching content, including the new PDP Slack community. Finally, if you get a chance, leave us a review for the podcast, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. As always, I'm joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, mate? I'm good, I'm good. And uh, I believe you've received a question this week which is going to, um, I guess, throw a few grenades in the mix today. So do you want to share what the question is and, and provide a little bit of context? Yeah, I think uh, it's quite a spicy one, this one. It's probably one that we wish we'd dodged, um, but we're, we're going <laughs> to try, try and answer it. Um, so lots of context. So this is coming from a, a grassroots coach that I know. Um, the team that he's working with will be under nine next year. So they've just finished their under eight season and they had a successful season at under eights, whatever that means, I suppose is, is open to interpretation. <laughs> um, so change of format. So he's going to, to 7v7 and based on the success they had last year or the performances or, 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 or how well they did last year, they've been placed in the highest league. So under nines, they're going to be playing against the strongest um, players locally uh, in that age group. Uh, and the, the real kind of a real life problem that, he, that he's been given is because of the success, it's um, attracted players from, from other uh, teams and other areas that want to come and trial and, and play and train with his group. And so the question is, does he stick with the original boys that, um, he had success in a good season with uh, under eights. Um, does he, um, for want of a better word, recruit two or three uh, external new players that will make the team stronger? Again, whatever that means. Um, or does he does he does he do something in between? And, and, and what do those conversations look like with parents? And and how does he um, build a successful squad so that he can give the boys a similar experience to to what they had last year? Bearing in mind they're going to be playing. Uh, against the strongest players locally in the area, so that that is the question. It's not, a, it's not an easy one. Um, and over to you. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that. Um, real stitch up this one. But yeah, look, I think there's so many factors to consider. So first of all, 
um, straight away my reaction is, well, it's under nines. Like, let's put that first and foremost. So success at under nines for me looks like kids having fun, kids loving the game, lots of different experiences, making new friends, all of these good things about sport. Uh, I think it's also then important that we can't forget that there's maybe players in here which is showing a little bit of ability and they need more of a challenge compared to others who are learning the game. So now we're talking about managing difference and mixed abilities, which is very much the world of grassroots football. You know, you could have a player who's got a football age of one because they only took the game up at seven and now they're eight um, versus somebody that's, you know, started kicking a ball when they were three or four around the house or in the back garden and playing an organized sport for the last three or four years. So those things can look very, very different. There's certainly not a short answer to this, but I think there's a few considerations. So I think, first of all, it's about what are the club's values and what is the purpose of this team? If this team is about participation, which for me at under nines, they all should be, um, and, and having fun and learning the game, then there's got to be a balance between uh, giving some of those players more time to improve their skills and, and maybe come up to the level of some of the others as well as trying to manage them. I mean, You've obviously given us some thought and had some conversations around it. Those are my kind of initial ideas, but where do you stand on this one? Yeah, it's a, it's a complex one, isn't it? I think the the vision or purpose of the club is, is an interesting one. So there will be uh, clubs locally that their vision is to be competitive and to try and win every game, every plastic tournament, sorry, plastic trophy there is and every tournament. Um under eight, under nine and throughout because that's what's important to them. And there'll be teams that are solely about um, retention and play. And I think these kind of sticky questions come in the middle where all kids are competitive, all kids want to win. Every kid that I've coached wants to, to, to play the game to win. Um, but we, we also, I think there's an angle. So once, once we decide what the club's about, what's the purpose of the club or the purpose of this team, I think that makes your decision a bit easier. The... the um, the, the next level of, of kind of thought process I had was the social angle. So mm. you've put these boys together. They might be kids that go to the same school. They might be kids that have been friends uh, from nursery. Who, who, who knows? You could have yeah. boys that have really, really established friendships. Um, and it might be that they don't go to the same school. And so this boy and this team has made friends from a different school, which is massive at, at that age group. Like, so they might have their friendship circle and then they might have their football circle. So you might be um, destroying those those bonds at eight um, just because you want to um, recruit. And again, I'm not sure that is the right <laughs> word. R recruit two or three extra stronger players to help you win. Mm. Um, and at an, an angle we talk about a lot, I suppose, is is what is winning. And, and we'd have to define what that is with our purpose of our club. But the social angle, I think, is, is an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, I think it's critical. And I, like straight away, my first instinct when we talked about this in preparation for the, for the conversation was that really it, it's – it's for me not even a discussion. I would probably keep with the same kids who have been there, as you say, for those very reasons, the fun factor. Um, I think naturally players will start to be identified or potentially get further opportunities to, to be stretched. I think you can also be really clever with your session design because if we just take the game and the result and the league table as one part of the week, maybe there's one training session or two sessions a week with this group of players – you can be really clever with how you manipulate your practices to make sure that perhaps those better players are up against the better players and the ones who are still learning their skills and, and maybe you know still getting to grips with physical literacy just as a concept, um, they're getting an appropriate challenge. And I know you've written on this, but, but making sure the players get an appropriate challenge for what they need at training means that game day can just be a really fun day for them to go out, play with their mates, score some goals, be in a competition, learn how to win, learn how to lose. 
as opposed to, look, we've got to under nines, we're in a bigger game format, there's a bit of pressure coming on from a few parents perhaps here as well. You know, we need to get some better players in because we need to be successful. And successful in the traditional metric being that we win, we win the league, the kids get a trophy. Now, again, if we talk about redefining success, well, success at this age and stage has got to be that these kids stay in the game. They're active participants in youth sport and youth football in this case. Um, and, and they've got those, those fun and friendships, which we know evidence suggests that the majority of reasons kids play, play sport is to be challenged and to have fun with their friends and to you know, learn new skills. So I think, for me, that is the context which should remain at the forefront whilst trying to cleverly adapt your practices and the way you're managing your environment to therefore cater for those ones who are stronger at this stage because the other thing here is that there's no crystal ball and the one that's been playing for a year or two and is look, not looking as talented right now could be the one that in four or five years time is a much better player because they've been fortunate enough to stay in this environment so that's kind of where I sit in terms of drawing a line in the sand but again there are a lot of considerations yeah I think that the, the training piece is interesting so just to kind of be completely clear with what we're talking about, imagine you're running 1v1s. Your best player or your strongest player or your player with the highest training age, you could put him in a 2v1. So he is against two defenders. That is a way to keep challenging your best player at this moment. Mm-hmm. And the, the player that the player that's struggling could be given a 2v1 in an attacking favour. Exactly. And then the middle, of, the middle of the group could work in a 1v1. And then you just move players up and down that challenge based on what they need. That, that's a, a nice, simplistic way to look at that, that difference and managing that difference in training. I think you, you've touched on that last piece. Is the, um, what, what does the future look like? So... Um, your, your best player now will not be your best player um, when he's 21. Very, very unlikely that the best seven-year-old would be the best uh, 21-year-old. And there's tons and tons of research that youth success is a poor indicator of future mm. success. Um, so, a, a, and if that player is the best player now, uh, the, the percentage chance of them um, being an elite athlete and being high performance and selecting that at, at seven and eight it, it is again crazy. So, so you shouldn't worry too much about that. And, it, and it's very likely that these weaker players, if that is the right phrase, will mm-hmm. catch these players up at some point. And that is your job as a coach. Like, if, if everybody was brilliant and could dribble like Messi, we wouldn't have roles as coaches. So, like, you should look at that as a challenge, not not a um, uh, an obligation. Like, it should be it should be a fun thing to help these players get better at football because that's mm-hmm. why they're there. And then. Um, I suppose this this is a real kind of grassroots problem is the stronger players some of them will choose to leave anyway some of them yeah. if the club if the club doesn't fit their um aspirations and ambitions or their parents aspirations and ambitions <laughs> they will leave anyway so if you build your club or your team around one or two players um because they are the best now age under 8 and then they get to 10 and they remain to be the best players they might go to a bigger grassroots club or they might go to a high performance development center or an academy and that is still success so i think Mm. it's as a coach being comfortable with what is every individual in front of me need and um to dump or to chuck two or three players at eight or nine it it just doesn't seem um like the the, the human right thing to do to me that that would be kind of how how i'd somewhat answer this question Yeah, it is a real challenge. And look, I have heard of clubs, especially since I've moved to Australia and spoken to a lot of people locally in football, where, you know, one team may leave a club and then 
because the coach has gone to another club and just go with the coach. So these kind of relationships can form where a club may get an age group just ripped out from their club because the coach has left. So that's one thing that can happen. I've also heard stories of clubs um, not being happy if, for example, an academy program comes in and said, oh, we'd like you to trial um, because they want to keep the talent at their club because if they keep the talent, they win the games. Now, this goes back to the dominant narrative of winning. Like if I also, in, in a good news story, spoke to somebody who runs a club here who said, I would rather play with 10 players and have a player signed for a, for a professional club than hold a player back from going on and reaching their ambitions. Now, I think that's wonderful. I think that is, that is somebody that's putting player development first in the sense that they're saying, well, if we're not going to hold back a player just because on the weekend we're going to get the three points. So this, this becomes a conversation about the dominant narrative around winning and youth sport and how, how that is filtering down through the ages. And obviously an area we've covered a lot in different masterclasses and, and different content on the site around redefining success. So I think the short answer is keep your players together for as long as you can because as your point is spot on around players will either leave on their own accord or potentially be identified for other, other programs. Um, and make sure that those social bonds are strong. And I can think back on my own sort of youth experience as a player and remember going through club football with the same group of players year in, year out, and some would get picked for representative honours certain years and others of us would get picked the other years and and you sort of float in and out of those rep squads. Um, But also playing school football where you're playing with your best mates and having those great experiences and you think back, and I can still remember games we played because... Not so much of the, the result or the outcome. I, I remember you know, getting knocked out of tournament games and these kind of really exciting games that as a 15, 16, 17-year-old player were, were great to be a part of, whether you won or lost. But you remember the moments with your mates, you know, whether that's sliding somebody in for a goal or scoring a goal yourself or whatever it was. Those experiences for me far, are far more prevalent and dominant and important in terms of players of this age. I just think we're, we're, we're sort of in a race here, um, which can be a little bit of a fine line. So I do appreciate the challenge that this particular coach is facing, um, but I think it's really important that, that we sort of put the enjoyment factor, participation, mixed experiences, and again, managing your training as, as a real sort of key idea. Mm, I think um, without getting kind of too deep or too romantic, the, the, the players have come to you because they love the game and they've fall, they're starting to fall in love with the game. And and you could be responsible for damaging that love. Um, if, if one of their earlier experiences is being cut from a team or being told they're not good enough, which however skillfully you have that conversation, that is the message you're going to convey, then you might stop somebody playing football for the rest of their life. And, and what a horrible kind of weight to, to, to carry around. So people have come to you at seven and eight because they love smashing the ball in the goal or making that dramatic save or, or doing a step over or whatever it is. They've fallen in love with football and they'd like to have a go. And now they've had a successful season with you and brilliant, like tick, tick, tick as a coach, you've done your job. And I think it would be, it would be tough for me to, to talk to an eight year old or a parent of eight year old saying, um, we're not going to take you next year because we found a better one. Um, and just imagine what that would feel like at seven and eight to have that message. Um, you know, you're not gonna be able to play with your mates anymore. You're not gonna be able to wear the kit. You're not going to have that go on a Sunday. Um, that's pretty tough. And I think as coaches, we have, we have like a a duty of care to, to, to maintain that, that love. And I know that sounds quite romantic, but that, that is why they've, they've played the game. That's why they've, they've started and they've come to you. And so our job is to keep that and turn them into lifelong participants of sport. And hopefully Mm. some of them, some of them will go on to be coaches. Some of them will go on to be players. Some of them will, will stop playing and all that stuff will happen, but it shouldn't happen at, at seven, eight, nine, in my opinion. 
Agreed. Well, Dan, look, it's a really interesting question. A fair play to the coach involved, obviously doing something right in terms of creating a good environment and the players are improving. So, you know, credit to him in, the, in that department. But I would say that uh, don't be in a rush, don't be in a race and make sure you keep as many of those players involved in a good environment for as long as possible. So, Dan, I want to thank you for your time and bringing a really interesting question to the table this week. Yeah, lots of things to debate and it was a, it was a good one. I think we've done well to, to present a, a balanced view there. Hopefully, hopefully. And we will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching. 